Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this rip is the Bitcoin mechanic. His second time on the show, but his first time to really talk about Start9 Labs and the Embassy One. We are talking about taking more control, people, personal sovereignty, sovereign computing with Start9. It's a rabbit hole, but it's definitely worth thinking about and very exciting. I'm getting pulled in all different directions as you are, as we follow each other down the rabbit hole. Before we get into the rip, please make sure you're stacking some sats. I know it's November and it's Black Friday. Bitcoin's on sale. How nice of them. Make sure you're picking up your sats. In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will get you a free $10. Across Europe, you can use relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H. Download the app in under one minute and be smash buying some Bitcoin. Also set up your DCA plan with them as well. I have the link and the code you need to use in the show notes. Make sure you go and check out the show notes. Use the code when you sign up to the app and you will save on commissions. Coin Corner, same deal. Use that link. You are going to get 10 free pounds after you've traded the first 100 pounds of fiat into Bitcoin. Please take control of your coins. We're going to get into that. But first of all, new sponsors for the show. Hodl, hodl. Guys, thank you so much for inviting me to Riga. It was so fun to get to know you guys and hang out with so many plebs there. I can't wait to get back there next year. For those of you who have not heard of Hoddle Hoddle, and if you want to stack some KYC free sats, KYC means know your customer. You don't have to go through that with Hoddle Hoddle. You can go there and interact on a peer-to-peer trading platform. Really great to have you as part of the mix. Thank you so much for your support. Now, once you've stacked with any one of these guys, consider a coin join. For those of you technically more advanced, you probably know what that means. For those of you that don't, it means when you take control of your coins, you might want to consider running them through a coin join to completely clean them of any KYC that has happened on those coins. You can try this out at wasabiwallet.io. Simply download the wallet on your laptop, hit a receive address, run some Satoshis through it, see if this is the kind of service that you're looking for, if it's something you want to explore more. Heavily important, you guys do your own research on all of these services and every single one of the CEOs would want you to hear me say that as well. But then, once you've done all of that, once you've stacked, considered coin joining. If you've not taken control of your coins, you're not doing it right. You just, you don't own the Bitcoin. If you've left it on FTX, you don't have it anymore. If you leave it on any one of these aforementioned platforms, apps, or companies, there's a chance you might not have that Bitcoin anymore. If something happens to these guys, they want you to take control of your coins. They truly do. To do that, you need a hardware wallet, a signing device. You can use the BitBox 02 Bitcoin only edition from shiftcrypto.ch 
forward slash bitten. Use the code bitten. You'll get 5% discount. All these links are in the show notes. You must use the links or the codes where stated. Here is the Bitcoin mechanic. How you doing, brother? Good to see you. Yeah, good. How are you? Very, very well. Lauren's here to ask you the first question. Uh, did was she? Did she? Did she ask you the first question on our first pod? I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, you better spice it up, Lauren. Have you got a different one? Oh, what of my original question? Yeah. Um. The one you originally asked him when we first met him. Oh, you don't remember that? It's no been idea. Two <laughs> it's been a year, I think. Yeah, it has. All right, go on. Fire away our question. Uh, right. So what's your favorite thing about um, Bitcoin? Um, good question. Um, what's my favorite thing? It changes a lot every day. Um, I think uh, it's just that all the stuff that it isn't. Like always, it's not, um, everything else is just not good in comparison. So Bitcoin doesn't have any of the bad things. It's just very simple money that works the way money's supposed to work. In, a, in an ideal world, you wouldn't need it, right? You wouldn't even need Bitcoin because people would just not be ridiculous. They wouldn't rent seek. They wouldn't print money out of thin air. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't earn money for anything that wasn't real work. And all of those things would happen. But people aren't like that. So Bitcoin makes people have to be like that. So I think it's how Bitcoin uh, makes and incentivizes people to be better people. I think that's my favorite thing about it. Very good answer. Yeah. Have I become a better person since discovering Bitcoin? Um, okay, off to bed now. Thank you to the mechanic here. <laughs> You started looking into it like 2015. 2020. He knows what we're talking about. <laughs> um, so I probably won't remember if you changed. No, you probably wouldn't. But uh, I can assure you I have. Okay. All right. Anyway, do you want to uh, say goodnight? Yeah. Bye. Good night. Good night. Uh, bon sleep. I only know Bon actually. <laughs> <laughs> he remembers his French GCSE courses like a charm. Oh, no, you did... speak in Spanish now, mechanic. Oh, my Spanish is pretty bueno. Um, yeah? How, how, yeah. Have you, um, how have you managed to uh, pick that up? Duolingo and a lot of discipline. I started on Duolingo in 2017 and I finished the Spanish course and then they made it a lot bigger and now I'm trying to finish it again. Um, so I can say anything and I can't understand 90% of what people say, but I can, I can say anything, which is pretty useful. And then I just have to guess what they're saying to me, figure out how to say it myself and then wait if they go yes or no, that's what I was saying. So <laughs> that's about how I get by in Mexico. Not that I'm in Mexico right now, but I will be soon. All right. So hang on a minute. I've never heard of anybody actually finish a course on Duolingo. I think my, my wife is up on like, God knows how many days streaks uh, on the French uh, course. And now you've already finished one and then gone back and doing it again. Yeah, well, in 2017, um, 
you know, Duolingo wasn't as big. It's I think it's just been growing and growing and growing and the courses get bigger and bigger and more and more embellished as you go along. So like there are there are things that were like one lesson back then that are now entire like, you know, week long chapters that you gotta deal with. And, you know, um it just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. So Tell back in the day they managed to finish it for sure. They give you a giant bird at the bottom, a yellow golden bird than when you finish a course but i don't i don't know they didn't have the crown system then or any of that stuff so i didn't i wasn't like i know about eight times more spanish now than i do then and i've got like i'm barely a third of the way through all the new stuff so how many yeah. hours a day are you put in uh not much uh it's not like I, I don't do the streak thing i just when i want to do it i'll go and do a bunch of it and then when i don't i'll ignore it for months and if i i'm very good at ignoring these you know these like um there are things i've decided that aren't a good use of your mental energy and duolingo streaks is one of them another is when supermarkets try to get you to like take part in some loyalty system where you get stamps or something and if you get 800 of the stamps by spending 20 grand in their supermarket you get a free packet of chewing gum or something like that and everyone goes for it they're like i've got to do it and they keep all the stamps i'm like how much money like how much of your time and money are you spending having this living in your head this little system just just spend the 30p get the chewing gum and then don't bother with it it's a bargain like then there's like there's other examples of that too like the fold app you know the fold app that everyone has like where everyone's spinning every day and they're getting like 10 sats or 50 sats. I'm like, just buy a million sats and then delete the app. Like, and then you won't have to ever think about it again. How great would that be? <laughs> like, and it, how much is a million sats? 200 bucks? Like, just do it. <laughs> like, I would do that to not have to open an app every day and press it. Like, uh, it's, it's like a revelation. But these people, the creators of these systems have hacked our psychology and they know they can, they can get us to think about them and have them in the front of our brains all day every day uh for offering us pennies and we'll fall for it it's nuts to me <laughs> yeah damn i we've been suckered into these uh schemes at the supermarket for sure because you get free kitchenware or mm -hmm. free steak knives and stuff you're like i actually need some steak knives right so i shop there anyway so i get the stickers and then i chop them in for steak knives so th there's something to that i suppose if i'm going to the damn place anyway but i i won't switch shopping habits or anything like that uh, i don't yeah. think maybe I yeah, one those ones like driving out your way to go to a cheaper gas station using more gas to do it i think it's a net negative like we had as we had a supermarket offer us knives that was exactly it mm -hmm. and 120 stamps this was the one time i did fall for it my girl's really into it. So 120 stamps. You have to peel them all off, stick them on a thing, yes. and go on. Then like 15 minutes sticking the stamps onto a thing. Get you don't get a free knife, you just get a cheaper knife that you wouldn't have probably have bought in the first place. Mm. And then after the whole thing was done, I went to Costco and saw that set of knives for cheaper than it was with the stamps in the supermarket. I was like, this was a total scam. This whole yeah. thing was a complete scam. And they well, got the me same supermarket fire sells the stock at the end of the thing when you like they haven't got rid of it all through the sticker system. Man, how are we talking about this shit? We're supposed to be talking about Bitcoin right now. Well, I don't know. Everything comes back to Bitcoin somehow, doesn't it? And I yeah. think um, if I, I guess this would come to how do you manage your time and how do you manage your money? And they're kind of the same question, really, aren't they? Like Einstein 
said uh, energy and matter are the same thing. And I'm saying time and money are the same thing. So uh, if you've got to spend time on something, um, make sure, make sure it's a, you know, you know, the truest form of wealth being young, right? Cause you have so much time to spend and this is what fiat rubs us off, right? So you earn money, you spend your time to earn some money. And then the money that reflects the time you spent mm-hmm. uh, gets siphoned away. And it's like, I worked eight hours yesterday. And then when you go to cash in that time, you, you, you cashed in for money. It's like you only worked six and a half hours rather than eight hours because the money has been inflated and debased. And now you've got less that you can, your reward has somewhat disappeared for that. So Bitcoin beautifully flips that on its head and makes time you invest today a time that was very well invested if you can stash it away rather than say, you know, it rewards hard work. Like if if you're grinding hard now because you've grokked Bitcoin and you want to save as much as possible and you're spending as little as possible and you're putting in as much time as possible to your work, then it's going to magnify and expand. And so you can work at McDonald's for three years, you know, put in 20 quid a week into Bitcoin and then be living, if you're like a, you know, if you're in your late teens or something like that, and by the time you hit your mid thirties, every hour you put in at McDonald's is going to be enough to, you know, send you to, to Spain for the week or something, right? It's it's incredible how it, how it's going to move in the opposite direction to what we're used to. And it's honest as well. It's not a rent-seeking thing. That's a completely legitimate uh, thing. And, you know, lots of people, because everything's so perverse, will call you lucky for it. But it wasn't luck. It was hard work. And uh, you'll be rewarded for that. So it's a it's a beautiful thing about Bitcoin. Are you saying that uh, putting thousands of hours into work of educating yourself, listening to podcasts, reading books, reading articles, watching YouTube videos... Well, you've got to do that too. Like that's, that's what I love about, you know, when, when people say, oh, it's, it's okay for you. You're so lucky. You got in. It's like, no, I grokked it. I tried to figure out this thing. It was just, I, I could not leave it alone. And now I've got to a point where still none of us have fully grokked it. Like anywhere near it. No, you'll never understand all of it. They'll, it's impossible. It's too much of a deep and fascinating rabbit hole. There's too much to go on. Like the the anthropology of it is really what's most interesting to me because um, uh, the more I think about it, the more like you have all these efforts and, in, and incentives and you have this, uh, you know, Bitcoin was originally conceived as something that in, to my mind says, this is what human beings are like. This is how you, you can't ask them to act differently to how they're going to act naturally in any one situation. So you put them in the fiat world and, Everyone starts, you know, that's how you create mindless consumerism because money doesn't keep its value. You just buy crap and you might as well because it's not going to be worth anything in the future. And you borrow as much as possible because money is literally being said to be worthless, right? I mean, obviously, we've got a, that sort that's been flipped on its head with all the, the hiking of interest rates and stuff like that. But that's a temporary phenomenon, I think. And we'll go back to money being essentially worthless because we kind of have to unless governments want to start defaulting on all their debts and they're not really likely to want to do that so you have uh bitcoin conceived and it's put humans in a situation where we can rely on them to act in such a way as makes sense and is rational to them and will create a system that becomes predictable and stable in which uh, everyone's selfishness is to everyone else's benefit 
and all of these you know wonderful philosophical principles but then things have emerged now where we're trying to appeal to altruism altruism again and say to people uh you've got to do this you've got to do that like if you know and it's not being necessarily done for as uh, it's not being pushed um along with the notion that you're doing these things for your own benefit it can be pushed like the ideas of withdrawing bitcoin from exchanges and running a full node and doing coin joins and observing good practices and not engaging with companies that go overboard with kyc and all that stuff all of these unethical things that bitcoiners don't like that are antithetical to the cypherpunk ideals often we'll tell people not to do these things for moral reasons and that is understandable but it isn't really how bitcoin um ever approached things because we don't tell people to mine because it helps the network right that's never supposed to be what it what it's about it's mine because you're going to make money doing it and if you're not making money anymore go somewhere where the electricity is cheap enough so that you can make money or find a way to squeeze out electricity or reuse the heat in some way that you can you know heat a greenhouse and grow some vegetables and sell them and then make it up that way or something like that it's never been mine because it's your duty to mine bitcoin right it's never been that so i see that argument creeping in or that um i see the the failure to keep that approach uh, when it comes to appeal to incentives when it comes to running a node right we all talk about you've got to run a node and a lot of the time it's uh, it's um, characterized as something you should be doing to make the Bitcoin network stronger and more resilient. And it doesn't. It doesn't do that. And that's not why you should be doing it. You should be running a node because increasingly there's less and less stuff you're able to do if you don't run one. And it's basically an essential part of being a Bitcoiner. If you want to ever look up a transaction you're interested in, you need to use something like mempool.space but not the public block explorer because you just can't be doing that. You need to, if you want to look up a transaction that's of interest to you, you can't ask a third party to go and look at the blockchain on your behalf because one, they might not be honest about it. And two, why are you telling people what your Bitcoin addresses are? They don't need to know that. The only person that needs to know that is the person that's sending you Bitcoins. And this, this uh, mentality of privacy needs to be drilled into people for their own benefit. So if you want to look into a block explorer, um, you need to be running your own block explorer hosted by you on top of your own Bitcoin node. And if you want to run Lightning in a way that's in, in any way acceptable, in my opinion, again, the Lightning node's going to need to run on top of a Bitcoin node, otherwise it won't work. You, well, I mean, there are ways around that, but I don't recommend doing it. And then... Um, you have other things that you're going to want to use a Bitcoin node for. And... If you don't have one, then you're increasingly just having your hand held. And this is why I work at Start9. This is why we build something that makes it easy enough for your everyday person to run a node. But we're not saying you have to run a node or you should buy one of these for the greater good, right? We're just saying you're going to need this thing. You're going to need it. If you want a Bitcoin properly, you have to. Like if you, supposing you've done a coin join, right? You've done a coin join and you're trying to break the, the link in the public blockchain about what you're doing with your coins. You bought some coins on a KYC exchange. You're, that exchange inevitably gets hacked and leaked uh, of all its data. It gets uh, robbed of all its data. It's now public information that Daniel Prince bought a Bitcoin in 2020 or something like that. And it went to this address. Now you want to spend that 
and you don't want people to know it came from there, you've got to do a coin join. There are other things you can do, but a coin join is the obvious solution, right? So you do a coin join, but what's going on with the transaction? Hmm, I don't know. So you've done the coin join and you, you, you grab the transaction ID and you want to know about that transaction. You want to know how many people were in it. You want to know how many other people had the same size output as you. You want to figure out what your anonymity set is. But where do you go? If you go to any public block explorer, you got to use you got to at least be using Tor or something like that. And even then, how reliable is that stuff? So you go to the block explorer and you punch in the, the address. And immediately, if you're not careful, your IP address is now linked with the coin join you've done. And you've said to the world, hi, I did that coin join. This transaction is of interest to me. So you can presume it was probably me that did it. And you've just butchered your own privacy, especially if you locate the address that finally went to you uh, or the UTXO that's of relevance to you. So it's just, okay, if you run your own block explorer, it's so beautiful. It's, it's like the final piece of the puzzle for me. When we finally got mempool up and running on embassy OS, it was, here's your transaction. I, I'm, I want to know what's going on with this transaction. Like, I want to see how long it's going to take to get confirmed in the blockchain, right? And mempool.space has got beautiful visuals for it. So you're hosting it yourself. You're not leaking uh, data to mempool.space. You're hosting your own instance of it. It's getting information from your own node. You punch in an address, uh, sorry, a transaction that just happened. And the interface tells you, yeah, it's going to be confirmed in six blocks, uh, maybe seven blocks. We've just had a flood of transactions. And it will make a beautiful noise if and when it finally gets in the blockchain. You'll hear it go, Dear, like a little Christmas sprinkle. And you're like, that's it. My transaction made it into the blockchain. And you weren't asking someone else to look for you on your behalf. And without these things, you're going to end up doing it. Like, I, I, I like these actors like Blockstream who have, you know, a block explorer and mempool space themselves who host their own block explorer. But you while i do trust them you shouldn't have to trust them and you don't and if you can just host your own it's a feeling of freedom and it's a feeling of uh, independence as well and that stuff is it's spiritually fulfilling and i encourage people to do it not you know not because of a moral duty or any of that stuff just out of basic self-love <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> it's for your safety is that uh, but it actually is this time mm. Yeah, it's but like it's not a government. It's for your safety. It's a, a Bitcoiner. It's for your safety. Mm -hmm. It very much is. So if people are running, yeah, start nine. We've got the embassy uh, little box thing that we're going to talk about because I only call it a little box thing and you're going to tell us exactly what it is. But before we jump to that, people listening that are already running a node, whether that's Umbrel or my node, uh, can you explain that is the way that you should be using because mempool is plugged into both of those as well, I believe. Yeah. Um, the, my node, and I don't know so much about what applications or services are offered on my node. I do know a little bit more about uh, what Umbrella offer. And I mean, uh, conceptually, on a high level, these things are very similar projects, right? Uh, once you get under the hood, things change dramatically. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. But mm -hmm. For a high level, you're looking at something that makes it easy and accessible, um, easy and accessible for a, a non-technical person to be able to run a Bitcoin node and then run a Lightning node that is configured to work with that Bitcoin node, and then run a block explorer like Mempool that is configured to work with that Bitcoin node. And 
all of the resources are handled well and it can work you know on a on a tiny machine like a raspberry pi um and etc cetera, etc cetera. um <clears throat> sorry i'm losing my train of thought i keep getting uh, a phone call uh so yeah um on a high level yeah you've got that uh it's a thing that's desirable it's a thing we all want to do and what do we for a lot of people running a bitcoin node which everyone's sort of interested in and if you're not not technical it's kind of hard to explain what that is but it's not something that is best suited to being done on a general purpose computer because those get turned off and on all the time it's much more something that looks like running a server because it's something you want on all the time and connected to a network all the time that you access and and when you need it that's a server that's not a client um you know so when you're running a messaging app on your phone you've got telegram for example and whenever you use it your client the phone connects to telegram servers and they're always on they're always routing messages around and it's not like that's running on someone's laptop somewhere and it gets closed and opened and stuff like that. It's a server, right? But it's going to be in data centers. It's not going to be like a tiny personal server, which is a whole new paradigm of computing. It's saying you've got clients and you've got servers and there are a few big data behemoths out there that are the, the kings of running servers. Like you've got YouTube and you've got Google and you've got Facebook and Twitter and they are enormous companies running massive data centers and we rely on them for everything. And so the concept is we're never going to change the client server model because we need servers, whether we like it or not, we need a server, but we need to run our own. So Bitcoin is the gateway into that because running a Bitcoin node for a lot of people is the first time they've ever done anything that looks like running a server. Because if you try and do it on your laptop, it just doesn't really, it works, but it's not the right way to do it. And when you want to do a transaction and you fire up Bitcoin again, oh, I've got a week's worth of blocks to catch up with. I'm not going to be able to do this transaction until I've caught up. Or And running Lightning certainly isn't practical on any machine that you're likely to turn off and on. You know, So we have to uh, make servers available to people that aren't technically capable or inclined to actually go out and set up a server because it's really difficult it's not easy to configure everything to work and interact properly with a bitcoin node which is the bottom of the bitcoin stack so yeah these companies have come out and we're saying we want to make this doable for people that um can uh, that are interested in doing this but there isn't really anyone doing it like Start9 are doing it. And uh, obviously, disclaimer, I work for Start9, but there's a reason I work for Start9 because no one else is really doing this properly. So the the, the tried and tested approach has been to just get a Raspberry Pi, uh, get Raspberry and OS, which is obviously designed to work perfectly on a Raspberry Pi, which is uh, you know a quirky little piece of electronics. It's not a normal computer, right? It's not an Intel processor, it's an ARM processor um and so like a lot of stuff just straight up doesn't work on it right so you've got this os that's written specifically for it it's coming from debian um and the what everyone does uh you know whether it's raspberry blitz or uh, my node or umbrella is they make a giant docker compose file and say here are all the apps and every time you want to add an app to this we'll just release a new version of whatever the operating system is and but it's fundamentally uh, not a particularly scalable approach, and it's kind of prone to being not, you know, to not working particularly well. And it doesn't work in uh, 
in the way you'd want something to work that uh, that could offer more, not just scalability, but just actual reliability and robustness as you know, as well as just fundamentally scaling. So, what Embassy OS is it's it's a full blown operating system that. Yes, it works on a Raspberry Pi because that's how we started and we wanted this thing to be accessible and cheap. But the Embassy Pro, I mean, I don't know. Did you see the promo video today that came out for the Embassy Pro? I did not. Damn, I didn't know you were releasing that today. Well, when, no, we released the video today. We haven't released yeah, it. I didn't know you were releasing that. Yeah, so that's this is a ne the next level up, right? So we're finally moving away. Well, I say moving away. We're finally creating a second option that isn't a Raspberry Pi. It's a properly powerful piece of equipment. It's very powerful. So it's it's a 32 gigabyte of RAM machine uh, made by Purism, who are, they were the first people to make a Linux phone. And we've partnered with them for the hardware on it. And this thing is immensely powerful. It has an Intel processor, but they've gone to the effort of removing or disabling the Intel management engine, which is a horrible piece of hardware backdooring that uh, any device that runs an Intel processor uh, has on it. So I don't know if you're, are you aware of that? Uh, the Intel backdoor that exists on basically everything, not M1 Max because they're Apple's processor, but they probably have their own backdoor. Um, so yeah, anything that's an Intel processor inside, uh, there's a part of the processor that's called the IME or the Intel management engine. And what that is, is it's unknowable what it does. It's a little piece of, uh, it's a binary blob that, that is something that you cannot hack into or raise the, you know, the hood and look under the, look under the hood or bonnet as we would call it. Um, we can't know what it does. And it's presumably you'd be, you'd be very, um, you'd be very forgiven for assuming it was something the intelligence agency that had pressed had pressed Intel to put in there so that every computer, no matter how much of a, a software geek you were and how much you managed to rein everything in and uh, lock everything down on your system, if your process is fundamentally backdoored, there's, there's always some way they can get in. Uh, so this is the idea, you know, we talk about open source software, we talk about, you know, don't trust, verify, and you can do that with source code, right? But if ultimately everyone is running stuff on hardware that can't be trusted or verified, that's a, that is a big systemic problem, right? So, um, so the Intel management engine is something that is a blight on uh, secure computing and sovereign technology in general. So that's why purism making this uh, this device that is what is the hardware that the Embassy Pro is, is such a game changer because we can confidently say this is a device that is seriously sovereign. It's not a toy anymore. It's not a Raspberry Pi running a Bitcoin node on it that you can use and, oh, it crashed and, oh, sorry about that. Not, you know, not the, uh, the Embassy One, which is the Raspberry Pi model, does crash a lot. We have made a very, very solid system there, but it's just limited with terms of, uh, what it can do and you know its performance and how many services it can run but fundamentally a raspberry pi it's we can't confidently come out and say yes this uh, raspberry pi is completely secure on the hardware level on the firmware level we can't really do that with a raspberry pi because they're not open hardware in quite the same way um it's it's just a it's just a new level of how much do you trust your own computer and an embassy pro 
we're saying this thing is seriously trustworthy and it doesn't have because it doesn't have that back door so that's one part of it that's obviously really exciting and really unique uh, and you're only going to get that with a company like purism and it's why we're so stoked to be partnered with them and uh they've got other products too which i would vouch for like the the um uh, the Librem 5, which is their phone, and the Librem 14, which is the laptop they make. Um, the Librem Mini is the the Intel Nook that we're using for the Embassy Pro. Um, and yeah, they're just generally an awesome company. Nothing comes cheap, but you know, in, it's you're not going to find quality quality like that anywhere else in the world. So it's cool. Yeah, um, the Embassy Pro video came out today. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I suggest checking it out. It's you know, we, we've got several head nods to the matrix there. And mm -hmm. this is it. This is uh, game time. This is, are people going to step up and go, I'm, I'm sick of getting pissed off with big data. I'm sick of password managers getting hacked. I'm sick of using third-party block explorers. I'm sick of using, you know, Moon and Phoenix and any sort of halfway house lightning wallet where you're sort of in control and sort of not. It's like, no, that's it. I want to run a lightning node. When I go to pay for something using lightning, I want the thing on my phone to connect to my server and pay someone properly. I don't want anyone else's permission. I don't want the surveillance. If people are really interested in this, not just on the Bitcoin level, but on the cloud storage level, the password management level, we've got a device that is like a serious contender now. It's not a Raspberry Pi that's fundamentally just going to be a bit of fun. It's, it's something that you can be like, yeah, my whole church, my whole school uses a messaging application that's hosted in the school. It's a it's an embassy pro. It sits in the school. All messaging that's done between staff, between students, and you know between staff and students, it's all done on a matrix server that's hosted on an embassy pro. We are using this thing. We are not dependent on anyone else. There is no surveillance. Like I mean, I agree with Richard Stallman on this stuff. Like teaching kids in school how to use Microsoft software that it's, it's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't be making children dependent on massive companies. Like um, there shouldn't be things like um, when you're, when you're teaching kids how to use email or to do video conferencing, when you're doing phone calls with doctors and lawyers and things like that, where you, where you have, where you're supposed to have enshrined this principle of doctor patient confidentiality and all that stuff gets violated because you're depending on third parties all that stuff needs to be overhauled and it needs to be the basic assumption and default that no, this is all a stopgap. If you want to do anything serious online, you need to be running your own server or someone in your family or community does that you trust. And the uncle Jim model becomes the real thing. And that's what the embassy pro is, is most suited for because we're talking about larger communities. Now we're talking about like people, 60 to a hundred people. So that's why my mind always goes to churches and schools and places like that, where it's like, it's really no longer realistic for a raspberry Pi to deal with 50 people connecting to a Bitcoin node or a matrix server or something like that. But for an embassy pro it is, and that's something where I'm like, this is something we can start collaborating with towns on and tiny little pueblos around Mexico, and as I said, churches and schools, because we've we've had communities come to us before anyway that are tiny little activist communities that are awake, you know, that for whatever reason they they fallen out of favor with what's politically uh, acceptable. So they can they don't want to get vaccinated, or they don't want to force people to wear masks, or whatever the thing is, probably you know triggered by COVID insanity, but it can be other stuff like 
you know, out in BC, we've got some pretty nuts uh, gender ideology seeping into the education system here. And, you know, if you have a problem with it, you're going to end up in jail. So uh, you, you have communities that might want to communicate and do so without having everything necessarily be through some big data platform that's going to leak everything. So off, you know, off grid communication that still remains digital. That's a huge, huge change in the dynamic of power in the world. And I think we only need to round all this off this thought. <clears throat> it's only about, <clears throat> it's only about five or 6,000 embassy pros out there in the world and things start to look very different. And it's not, people want mass adoption, right? Not just for Bitcoin, but for self-hosting in general. And I'm saying we've never needed that. It's never been necessary in either case. We just need a big enough intolerant minority that force change on everything else. And we know that's that's the history of of how things have changed in our species. It's been a small group of people have said, no, we're doing it differently now. And then the entire world adapts to fit around them. The masses will come, the masses will follow. We don't need to appeal to them. But we do need enough people to say that's it. So you need all of these little breakaway communities, all of these disenfranchised communities to say, we're running an embassy pro. We communicate off-grid now. We financially transact off-grid now. We've got our cloud storage, all of that stuff. We've got our video hosting. We've got our websites hosted. I mean, I haven't even mentioned web hosting yet, right? Like we've, we're hosting our websites off-grid. No one can shut us down anymore. And it's not even just Tor anymore. It's ClearNet. Here's my website. Go to my website and if you want to shut this down, it's going to be difficult for you to do it. And it's not just because of Tor, right? Tor makes Tor is really good for censorship resistance and all that stuff, but it's so impractical and so slow. And we know it's been, I should get into Tor in a bit, to be honest. Let's, let's discuss Tor a bit later because part of the journey of what we're doing as a company is getting away from Tor um, because it's just not reliable enough. It, it prevents, you know, it, there's just so much, that you can't do if Tor is your only option. But there are so many compromises and trade-offs in coming away from it that it's a long and complicated process. So yeah, um, let's come back to Tor in a bit, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right, mate, <coughs> nice rip. Okay, Embassy Pro, what's the, what's the date that is gonna be going live and people can start or, you know, expecting it to ship and what are the uh, what what are the price points? Good question. So we don't have a specific date yet, but we are still um, we are still well on schedule. We've since we've had it marketed, and I'm proud to say uh, we haven't shifted timelines once. And all we've ever said is that it's going to be by the end of autumn, and that means the end of this month. So we're we're confident we're going to make it. Uh, we've messed up on deadlines of this nature before, uh, famously for 030 release. Uh, we were supposed to have it on July the 4th of 2021, and it wasn't released until 2022. Um, we were like seven months late with that or something, but it was all to the good. It all needed to happen. And I know everyone would forgive us if we were late with it because our community is some of the most fantastic people I've ever come across. And not a single person was uh, miffed at how long it took us to get 030 out, even though we were seven months late or something. But I actually have, I'm pretty optimistic about this uh, coming out on time. And um, 
as far as the price points, um, we have the the basic sale price of the thing is eighteen ninety nine, and that's US dollars. It's been on sale for a while, and that sale takes it down to fourteen ninety nine, uh, but that ends on November twentieth, and uh, I I do have a discount uh, if you type in mechanic um, on the Start Nine store, you will get a discount, but they cannot be combined with the current discount. Uh, so you're better off just buying it uh, with the discounted price rather than typing in my name and then getting less of a discount. My my discount will matter once the, the, the bigger discount is, is expired on November 20th. And uh, you also, if you buy via Fold, a company I was just uh, mocking at the beginning yeah. of this podcast, there's a 7% discount there as well. I don't know if they can be combined or not, but uh, a lot of people might want to do that. You can buy gift cards for Start9 through Fold, and then then I think you get a... Yeah, you definitely get a 7% uh, discount, but I don't know if that combines again with the other discounts. And just to be completely clear, when you say $18.99 and $14.99, that's $1,899 or $1,489. Yeah. Yes. This is the thing. Like, if you're just into the hardware alone, you're you're getting uh, this Libra Mini from Purism, and as far as I as far as I know, I haven't checked this lately, but they are well over two grand if you just buy the hardware. So it makes much more sense to get an Embassy Pro than it does to get one of them, unless you really, really don't like Start Nine for some reason, which <laughs> you might not. So. I, <laughs> Don't, I don't know how sustainable that is. They might get annoyed with us eventually, Purism, for selling uh, their hardware so cheap. But um, regardless, uh, those are the prices for now. Uh, and they'll so a, do, a doofus like myself, who, you know, a 46-year-old dude, four kids, married, never ever exposed to coding, programming, software development, computer science of any nature at all, and was Mr. Doofus when it came to being private about interacting with um, things online, banking of that nature. <clears throat> Becoming a Bitcoiner, understanding, being dragged down the privacy rabbit hole <clears throat> by people like yourself, um, Matt O'Dell and, and certain others. Mm. Uh, you start to you know, take notice of what you've done in the past and the mistakes you've made and then you start trying to run your own node and you because i don't have those skills i bash my head up against the wall umbrella has been a big problem recently uh, i don't know what's going on in my node world but there's always something you know I'm, I'm in both chats on telegram and there's always some kind of problem some kind of fix it's all way 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 above my pay grade but if i buy the embassy pro is that literally just plug and play and now all of my you know i've got four kids right and they're taking pictures yeah. all the time. i don't want that on apple servers i don't want that on google servers uh, it would be much better for me as a parent if all that shit was on a little black box in the hallway yeah of course so the whole point of these endeavors and this is why i get so frustrated with the with the projects well specifically umbrella is that the whole point is to make this easy enough and plug and play friendly enough that if and when something goes wrong, which it still does because, you know, lightning, stuff breaks with lightning and it's not our fault. It's literally lightning labs having a bug that day. And then, you know, people come to us in embassy chat and say, why can't I connect to any nodes on, 
we're like, obviously this isn't us. We're going to get the, the patch out as quickly as possible. But aside from that, everything else needs to work as well as it can. And when it doesn't, you need proper support. You need someone that says, this is a problem. We're going to fix it right away. So this is what we're priding ourselves on is the support more than anything else because stuff breaks. Like I've bought, I've returned MacBook Pros before. I bought them and, you know, the battery was just dead completely. Like, you know, fully charged, brand new MacBook Pro, turn it on, it's a 0% and just dies. And, you know, I've had that, returned it, it's a new Apple Mac, right? So every company, even someone as, you know, highly respected as Apple when it comes to this stuff can have problems. So we're going to have problems. But the point is, are you all marketing hype and telling people, run a node, be self-sovereign? They buy the thing, they're really excited, and then it just breaks on the first day. And then you're sitting in a Telegram group waiting around for a week while people scratch their heads. And maybe someone listens to you and makes a suggestion, and it probably just doesn't work. And you don't know whether it's a problem with the software, whether it's something you've done, or whether it's a bug on, on literally just with the protocol itself. So you've got no help with any of that stuff. So I find it massively counterproductive uh, engaging in solutions that aren't properly thought out or scalable or forward thinking, right? So it's not enough to just go, we've made a, a Docker file for a Raspberry Pi that makes instantly Bitcoin nodes and Lightning nodes and mempool space and file browser and, you know, uh, and all of this stuff. And if anything goes wrong, you're screwed and shit out of luck and you're just going to be left out to dry, basically. So as you say, those Telegram groups are swamped with people just going, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, what do I do? And basically no response. So that's not good enough. First off, you have to make your software a lot better than that and a lot more robust and a lot more idiot proof because otherwise, just go back to the old model, which was, no, you don't get to do this unless you're a systems administrator. Like if you want to run Bitcoin nodes and Lightning nodes and all that stuff, go out and buy some bespoke hardware that costs thousands of dollars, run the whole thing, be a complete Linux expert. You know, that's not realistic for 99% of people. So those other people need to take the other approach, which is I need the maximum amount of help with this possible without compromising my sovereignty, right? So there's there's even trust involved in that. Like we've we've got a good reputation and there's somewhat of an ideological requirement to work in at start nine where people have to, like if you're not fundamentally into freedom which a lot of people just aren't mm -hmm. you just won't fit in with the culture right so that being the case all our support is tailored towards people that are trying to stand on their own two feet but that just lack the technical technological ability to do it that's not to say that if you're really technical you wouldn't use it because loads of people do like it's a pain in the butt installing and running all this stuff is really annoying so embassy is just what you'd use anyway it's like you're really technical but you're not going to invent your own bitcoin you'll just use bitcoin because it's really good so if you want to run a server and have all this stack available to you you'd run embassy os because it's been really well written and it, and it works for the purposes that 99 percent of people want to use so when it comes down to it there's there's the start nine embassy os project which is just perfect for your use case. And there's, but more deeply than that, there's the availability of the support and the fact that you then have a community of people that are all there for exactly the same reason you're there that are going to educate you and become a valuable resource just for the community that can explain how and why you might want to do certain things because you've got so many options when you're in Bitcoin, right? If you want to run a Lightning node, You've got LND, you've got CLN. What's the difference? 
Why should I use this one versus that one? That's the kind of question that if you're not technical, you want to present to people that are somewhat ideologically aligned with you because that's that's such an important part of why you might make the decisions you make, right? Why why use this wallet? Why use that wallet? Why use this implementation of Lightning? Why use Matrix? Why use Kutch? Why everyone is going to, if in the Start9 community and in any other community that is fundamentally about freedom and using technology to liberate any of those communities, you're going to want to find answers from them because they're going to put you in the right direction because you're not looking for convenience, right? You're looking for liberty. You're looking for sovereignty. And that requires just looking at things with a certain filter, right? And that just building these communities is just, it's a far more subtle value. And, um, but doing it in a robust way where you've all got something that can actually be used in the long term is such an integral part of it that you, you can't have one without the other is my point. So Bitcoin's nothing without its community and the Bitcoin community would be nothing if it didn't have a solid hard money like Bitcoin to actually rely on, right? Like you do have freedom communities in the crypto space, for example. If I can, if I can keep uh, embellishing on this point for a second, um, You've got, you've got like principled shitcoin communities, right? Like the privacy coins, like Monero. Those people have super strong principles and commitment to something which I, I quite respect, but they don't have a technology that, that works with it, that can back it up and that can scale and that can go the whole hog. And then you have people that, um, you know, you can have the opposite as well, where you have technological ability and you can do anything you want. You can be Apple, you can be Microsoft or Google, or all these technologically incredibly advanced companies, but the ideology just sucks. All they care about is surveillance, the grabbing everyone's data, just being an absolute leech, the, you know, telling you things are free. When they're not free, you're just selling your data and not realizing it, and then they're selling that on to other people, and it's a tacit violation of your, of your own rights to privacy and expression and all these things. You know, so you want both of those things. You want technological reliability. You want proper support. You want white glove support. You need that, but you also need something that's ideologically not horrific, right? So yeah, it's, it's why I ended up where I ended up. And it's why I just wake up every morning going, Oh my God, I work for this, the best company in the fucking space. I can't believe it. Like it's, it's beautiful. Like there are a few other great companies, of course, like, uh, you know, the people working on BISC and, you know, there's, there's great projects out there in the space, but this, this hardware thing, I mean, it's us and maybe CoinKite making the cold card, right? There's such a great company too. There's a few people that I'm just like rubbing shoulders with here. And I'm just, I just feel uh, like, wow, this is the place to be. Like we are doing, we are doing an absolutely amazing job at putting our money where our mouth is and making sure that the technology exists for the ideology to rest on because ideology without the appropriate tech is just, you know, it's just words on a piece of paper, right? You need the actual technology to back up uh, and allow everyone to put their money where their mouth is in order for the thing to become real. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, you, you probably ramble on these things, man. I appreciate no, I love it. it. I'm thinking now as well that it's going to be a good way for 
is there a big newbie market for this? Like that those people that haven't even thought about Bitcoin uh, will, will perhaps pick up an Embassy Pro because they want to self-host all of their own data, whether that's their, um, like, a, you know, again, I, I keep coming back to kids, right? Because I see what my kids are doing online and it's impossible to freaking stop. And there's, you know, every other parent listening to this, you've probably know that parent that says, oh, well, you know, I restrict my, my kids' use and they're not allowed it in their bedrooms past eight o'clock. It's like, it's bullshit. You have no idea what's going on because they've got these little things in their hands. And if you're not watching, they're up there till God knows what time, doing God knows what, taking God knows, um, uh, you know, um, snapshots of messages, what, whatever, right? And that's getting leaked all over the place. So uh, as a family guy, and for, for to champion those listeners out there that might be thinking along the same lines, what, what, would, what would this unboxing process go like? Say I've ordered the, um, my, my Embassy Pro, it turns up at home, I take the thing out of the box, I plug, it's plug and play, but then how do I start making sure everything that is being leaked from my home slowly gets caught in the, the, the Embassy Pro net sort of uh, kind of analogy, I suppose, and mm -hmm. so posted there. How long is this going to take someone to, to get to grips with? Well, great. That's a, that's a great thing to explain. Um, and we can break that down into chunks because you use, there are a bunch of services you use and they fall into different categories. So first and foremost, let's start with communication, right? However you communicate as a family, you're probably using something like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. If I mean, if you're in Europe or Latin America, like everything runs on WhatsApp, right? Your doctor, like, you know, yeah. then, then you have, you know, Telegram and Signal and all these other things, and they all have holes and they're all hosted by a third party, right? Even if they're something that's pretty decent like Signal. So communication is one of the things right out of the box you can just go for it i mean everything's right out of the box but comms is super important and that's a great thing for a family to have because when you're sending pictures between yourselves uh, you know if you're if you're sexting your wife or something like that it's really nice to do that in such a way as this isn't gonna go and sit unencrypted on one of facebook's servers you know i'm not emailing a, a, an inappropriate picture let's call it to you know, to my wife via Gmail or something, you can, you can message it to each other. And the way the embassy pro comes into that is, you know, you plug the thing in, you set it up, which is a process of a couple of minutes, and then you just go into the categories and you've got communication, you've got Bitcoin, you've got lightning, you've got data and uh, something else, which I escapes me for now. But so you'd go to communication and you'd see the options that are there in our marketplace. So we don't want to be in a, a central party in this whole thing, right? As much as we are, uh, we try to not be to the fullest extent we can be. So our marketplace is a bunch of vetted, curated applications that we packaged ourselves. And we said, these are good. These are not malicious. If you trust us, these are good. Here's the, the source code, by the way, if you want to build it independently, but you can rely on all this stuff. Um, and that's the start nine marketplace. There are other marketplaces and other people can host stuff because we you know are committed to the idea that you can run whatever you want on your embassy we're going to make that possible and we're going to facilitate it but we can't package everything ourselves all that aside you go to communication in the start nine marketplace 
and you're going to have options there. The stuff that we think is the best of the best. So Matrix is a, a wicked protocol for chat. And um, you you just click on it. Synapse is the implementation we use. You install it. And then you need to set up, it's just a simple case of setting up the client devices, right? So you've got your server, it's hosting. Uh, it is now a matrix server and it's got a bunch of connection details there. You can just click on interfaces in the embassy UI and then it will show you some addresses. Then it's time to go to the client devices. You take your phone, you install a matrix messaging app, usually something like Element. And rather than enter a phone number, you're going to scan a QR code that, is showing up on your embassy interface and that will connect the two devices together and then you've got one client attached to your matrix server now all you need is someone else so you might get your daughter's phone or your wife's phone have them do the same thing on their phone they now have an element as a messaging app on their phone connected to the server you're connected to now you can message each other and it's going through your embassy all you've had to do is just download a new app on your phone and connect it but rather than connect it automatically to a server run by the app creator, which is what happens with Signal and Telegram, so you don't have to think about server, you just got one extra step, that's it, where you have to pick your own server, and that's it. And then uh, further down the road, what happens is instances and protocols develop to the point where you can federate with other instances, which is what happens with social networking things like Mastodon, right? So you can have your matrix server, in theory, connect to other matrix servers, and then you can chat with other people that are hosting their own on their own embassy. And then, you know, uh, you can expand out and scale that way. Though with matrix, this that's not exactly possible. With Mastodon, it is. Though everyone kind of hates Mastodon, so maybe I want to <laughs> that's the next category anyway. So to put uh, to round all that off, that's communication, right? So mm -hmm. you now have your family. Uh, all able to chat with each other using their phones, just like normal, just like what they're used to. But with mm -hmm. you're the only trusted entity in it. The guy running the embassy is the only thing that matters. And there's no leak. Assuming your phones are pretty reliable and you haven't got like key loggers and viruses on your devices, you can now basically securely communicate without using a trusted third party, which is great. So the next, next obvious thing is something like cloud storage, right? So we've already had leaks with cloud storage things like the biggest names like iCloud and uh, OneDrive and uh, those big data platforms that provide cloud storage for people like Dropbox and things like that they've all had hacks and leaks and people's you know celebrity nude photos got leaked that was a thing that happened a few years ago that was you know big con controversy but not only that if you have pictures on your iPhone I've heard of stories of people that have taking kids taking pictures of their kids having a bath you know like your two-year-old's naked in the bath you take a picture of it and it gets flagged as child pornography and you get your whole google account shut down over it i've read this this has happened to high blue checkmark kinds of people before just as a mistake and you know the resulting mess has been a nightmare the point is those are your pictures right first off you don't want anyone else seeing that anyway and second off you don't want people judging what you're doing with your own camera uh, probably because they're going to screw it up um so cloud storage is a totally different thing to communication and it's just as useful because that first off that data needs to be private and second off um it needs to be secure um and it needs to well i mean it, 
yeah, it needs to be secure and it needs to be private. Um, so you can all use that. You, for, as far as an embassy is concerned, you would just go and install File Browser, which is the main solution we have for that at the moment. And you have, again, it forms a stack, just like how you've got a Bitcoin node first, and then you can run a Lightning node on top of that. And you can also run an Electrum server on top of that. And you can run a, a mempool block explorer on top of that. Like it forms a stack, right? Um, that's why we, you know, call it layer one and layer two and all that, you know. Um, so with cloud storage, it's kind of a similar thing, right? Uh, you have file browser, which is basically just a, you know, a file management system where you can create directories and put files in. But you also have a user management system within that where you can allow other people like your the, the people in your family to create their own directories in your file browser that you can't access they have their own password for it it's all encrypted and only they can see it then you can have shared folders that everyone can see and then you have apps like sync thing which sit on top of file browser that can automate stuff so you can automate the gallery folder in your phone once you link and uh, sorry once you link that with sync thing and then you install sync thing on your phone and that means any picture you take will automatically just go and be stored on your embassy's cloud storage. And you can have it so that it will automatically share with your laptop, right? So every photo you take is now backed up on your embassy and it's available on your laptop too. And maybe your iPad or whatever device you want. So that that's just what cloud storage is. They will make that all into one function when they give you something like Dropbox. They will make all that work in a seamless integrated way, but we have to treat it like taking each part of what cloud storage is and making separate apps that will make the whole thing possible. So when we added sync thing to file browser and photo view, these apps used in combination make it feel like a seamless proper cloud storage solution, uh, but where you're just separating things out a bit, a bit like you've got, you know, your payments system, which is lightning. And then you've got your Bitcoin system and you combine the two and it feels like money but it's, you know, it's not their separate applications to do different parts of what money is. So data management and cloud storage has multiple aspects to it as well. And we have multiple apps all coming together as part of that, that cloud stack that allows you to do that. So that's communication, that's uh, cloud storage. Then you have money, obviously. So you want to give your kids pocket money. You want them to have a lightning, uh, in, uh, a lightning node. You want them to have a Bitcoin node. You just provide those nodes and then they use apps that take advantage of those things. And so if you want them to have, what's a good example of a, a mobile wallet that you can connect to your own node? There are precious few of them. So I can't give much of a good example at the moment. But Juice? Sorry? Juice, is that one? Or is that uh, an app that uh, bridges between your, your mobile Lightning wallet and your node? Which one? Juice, did you say? Zeus. Oh, Zeus. Zeus is a great example. Zeus is uh, for lightning, uh, as far as I know. Uh, I don't think it does on-chain. I think it just does lightning. And it can connect with LND running on your embassy, for mm. sure. Um, my only question mark around recommending that right now is that um, it can't serve multiple people in your family, as far as I know. But LND does have the ability or is bringing out the ability to create child nodes. So you can just have your one Embassy Pro and you can have LND installed on it along with a bunch of child nodes that your literal children make use of and they've got their own Lightning nodes and they've got their own Zeus on their own phones and they all connect to 
one instance essentially of LND running on your embassy. And that LND is communicating with the Lightning Network and it's communicating with the Bitcoin network via the Bitcoin node also running on embassy, uh, which you know at that point goes out and reaches out to the greater Bitcoin network. So you're sovereign, you're, you're Bitcoining completely, uh, you're off the financial grid and no one in your family has to trust anyone else uh, apart from the guy who is mainly responsible for keeping the embassy doing what it's doing. But you can limit what you allow yourself to be able to do. The Uncle Jim model has a bunch of ways you can make things pretty secure, right? So if you're letting your two children talk to each other in a chat uh, and they're doing it via your matrix server, you are not going to be able to read their communication unless you set it up that way. They are going to have an encrypted chat between the two of them and you won't be able to just go in there and read it. Uh, then you can have a family room where everyone can see what everyone else is saying and you can share like family photos in there, you know, you, and the same goes for cloud storage, right? So if you give them their own folders, they can encrypt them and you can tell them, I don't need to know the password for this. This is your cloud storage and they can store stuff on your embassy. And then they're, they're trusting you with the ability to keep the embassy safe and keep it backed up, but they're not trusting you with the ability not to snoop on them because you can't, even if you wanted to. And again, that's optional, right? You can create, you can have them say, like, I'm going to let you use the cloud storage on this, but I need to know what your password is, right? Like, and that's kind of reasonable with kids, right? Like, kids can't be fully sovereign, right? Like, not yet. Like, we have to, we can't just let them go, hey, be free. Like, you know, it's sort of your responsibility as a parent to, to, you know, to provide some, <laughs> some sort of boundaries and sense. Like, you can't just let them go nuts uh, on the internet. But uh, when it comes to your embassy, yeah, you can provide a fair amount of sovereignty to them. And, uh, and you teach know, them well, yeah, you can, about privacy you can. and about sovereignty because I, I try and have this conversation with my daughter. Like she's 17. Like, would you stop doing that with the, th with the phone? Like you have no idea what you're doing, the, the, the information you're giving up. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, boring old dad. I'm like, wait, I'm actually learning new things here. This is knife edge stuff that I'm trying to teach you, but now I'm just a boring old dad. But I got a question. What maxes out an embassy pro? Because, you know, we'll be tired. The, uh, the, the self-confidence of a 17-year-old girl taking a selfie is just absolutely, it amazes me. Whenever I see these, these girls out together, the, the selfies they're taking, anyway, whatever. I, I, I'm imagining that would probably choke up an embassy pro pretty quickly. Well, uh, people taking photos and uploading them to, to your <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that wouldn't use a lot at all. Like most yeah. of what's happening there is that the phone they're taking a photo on is doing a lot of work. But uh, when it comes to uploading, you know, a three megabyte picture or something to a server, that's not a lot. Like to max out an embassy, merely doing photo taking and storing data in the cloud storage stuff. Your main bottleneck there is if they're out and about at the moment. They've got to upload the thing to your embassy via the Tor network, and that's going to be slow. The embassy will be, you know, walking at one miles an hour, very relaxed. But the problem is that the bandwidth of the network is using is what is where the bottleneck comes from. The embassy is not at all struggling with that. Uh, it's yeah, it's the network speed. But ClearNet is a huge thing, and when I say ClearNet, that means you know dot coms and things like that. It means very fast internet as you're used to having it. And that's not available on any of these kinds of platforms yet, including Embassy. But 
we we know that that's the next part of the scaling um that's the next uh, challenge and it's basically our top priority once the pro is out um so, so what what is, what's the max what's the max on this like the information it can hold like you know am i going to have to buy one in a few years time to replace the one that i'm no, i mean it's, running the bitcoin blockchain as well yeah it's expandable um so they an embassy pro comes with two terabytes but it's mm -hmm. it's not a raspberry pi so you can plug external ssds into it without worrying about power draw and stuff so just That's go cool. out and buy a 10 terabyte ssd and hook it up to the embassy pro and then you've got as much data as you need and you can you can do other things as well like we're we're making some really fancy stuff where you can use other people's embassies to store data of your embassy uh, in a way where you pay them over lightning and mm -hmm. they have no idea what the data is because it's all encrypted but they serve as a redundancy for you so embassy mm. users become clouds for each other uh, in a way where they're paid to do it and in a way where you you know if you lose your embassy you can get everything back from a network of embassies uh, without worrying about any privacy concerns or any of that stuff so that doesn't exist yet but it's going to and it's that's a cool, cool idea that's a yeah. very cool idea yeah it's super cool but i mean to max it out the embassy pro is, is damn powerful it's 32 gigabytes of ram it's uh, i think it's a uh, yeah it's a 4.9 gigahertz processor which is incredibly fast and it's an os that was written for a raspberry pi which meant we had to do everything incredibly efficiently in order for the thing to be reliable because raspberry pis are so you know so cheap and you know underpowered so this thing is just running lightning fast uh to for if you'll pardon the word um it's, <laughs> it's incredibly powerful so um once it's it remains to be seen and i don't want to make claims about performance that haven't actually been demonstrated or tested yet but when you're hosting things like your own website uh, and you've got some significant traffic coming to it and we've got clear net support i'm i my answer is i don't know but i'm very interested like if you've got if you're if you've got a website using the ghost service and you're directing people to your website and it's a blog and it's getting like a hundred views every day or something like that. And there's a video on it that they can press play on. And that's got to be downloaded by everyone visiting it. And all this is hosted on your embassy pro who knows, I don't know what the actual limit of that will be. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, and running stuff like a Bitcoin node, again, it depends how you use it, right? Because Bitcoin, you can connect to a thousand different peers if you want, and they could all be doing their initial block download and you're sending out, you know, absolute gigabytes of data every few minutes just trying to, you know, is that realistic? Uh, pretty much. Bitcoin, again, is written super efficiently itself. So, you know, that's why it can even run on a Raspberry Pi in the first place. And that's why, you know, we have that Trump card whenever we're dealing with shitcoin is... is you know, can you run a node on a Raspberry Pi? No, you can't because you have some speed feature that is supposed to make Bitcoin obsolete, but your price for that was you can't run it unless you have a very expensive piece of hardware. So there's, there's pretty much nothing you could do with Bitcoin that would max out an Embassy Pro or even an Embassy One, which is the Raspberry Pi model. Lightning's different. Uh, Lightning is, you know, more resource hungry as far as I can tell. If you're running a proper routing node with thousands of peers you're connected to and thousands of channels open, that can get pretty hungry. But again, the pro will make light work of it. Um, I think uh, I'm not sure what is going to be the real pig when it comes to uh, greediness for system resources on the Embassy Pro. I think I'm inclined to say that it would be 
the cloud storage stack that is also combined with web serving, uh, being a web server. So if you're running a website, the website is drawing data that's all stored in your cloud storage because all that integrates too, which I should have mentioned, right? Like there's a video I have online called how to make an uncensorable website in 60 seconds where literally I just put some HTML in a folder, put that folder in file browser, which is the base of the cloud storage stack on Embassy, install Embassy Pages, which is a web server that makes Tor hidden web services, point the Embassy Pages at that HTML folder in file browser and press start and that's it. Then you go to the address of the website, which is a long string dot onion because it's a Tor address and, you, and you're literally looking at a website that I just created. And it, it literally, I did it in like 45 seconds. It's that easy to do. That's an uncensorable website that you're hosting yourself anonymously on your embassy, which is stunning. And the fact that it can be done so easily is obviously amazing. But when it comes to how many people can go on that website at once before the embassy just crashes, <laughs> like that, I wish I had an answer for you there, but that's going to require serious benchmark testing. And we'll, we'll, we'll loop in some of these absolute, uh, you know, legends like Jameson Lop and people like that, that do comparisons of various Bitcoin clients and lightning clients and seeing how long they take to do things. But my main, uh, the main takeaway from that is that this system was built hyper efficiently to run on the worst hardware ever, which is Raspberry Pi. So now that we're getting the best hardware ever, I'm just feeling like we're, the sky is the limit basically for what we can do. <laughs> so what, what, what did we do? We, we did uh, communications, we had Bitcoin, and we did data. That includes, but for people listening, they might have like uh, tons and tons of music and shit like that, right? You can just move all of that and then that's completely private. Yeah, you've got, well, I guess one thing we didn't do yet is, um, and funnily enough, this is the, the most popular thing that uh, we offer uh, on Embassy, which is password management. People yeah. don't want to use, uh, I'm, I've lost the tab of our Zoom call, funnily enough. Oh, there it is. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at my Embassy to look at what apps we have available because I'm always forgetting them. Uh, password management, whenever I do polls in our Telegram chat and say, you know, what do you use your embassy for the most? The most popular thing is Vault Warden, which is, um, if, if anyone knows what Bitwarden is, uh, Vault Warden is the service we offer that allows Bitwarden clients to connect to it. And it's great. Uh, it's, a, it's better than using any of the centralized things like LastPass or OnePass or any of these, you know, password management's a nightmare. Getting your browser to remember passwords is problematic. And using third-party storage has you know at the very least metadata concerns where you know mm -hmm. you'd rather not be telling them a list of websites that you have accounts on and the times you visit them and things like that even if they are super secure and usually what ends up happening with these is eventually there's a, a hack and uh the hashes of all your passwords get leaked which is not as bad as the actual passwords getting leaked but it's still obviously not great um um so yeah, hosting your own password management is super important to people. And weirdly, I was very surprised to find it because I'm just, you know, I'm a Bitcoiner and then I'm other stuff too, but I'm fundamentally just a Bitcoiner. That's like everything to me. I'm just my political ideology is Bitcoin. Like, So when I asked everyone and they're like, yeah, we use it for password management. I'm like, oh, wow. All right. But it's a very convenient service. Uh, it allows you to send messages to yourself from other devices, which is something that is 
you know, if you ever if you ever copied a link on your laptop that you want to open on your phone and been like, why isn't there a good way to do this yet? Yeah. Like, how is this still inconvenient? You end up WhatsApping someone and say, just, just ignore what I'm about to send you. You WhatsApp your wife and she's like, what's this? Click yes. on the link. No, no, it was your birthday present. Don't yeah. open it. Don't open that link. Yeah, and you wonder, why is there no good way to do this? Bitwarden offers a good way to do that. It's, I think it's called Secure Notes or something. I haven't actually used it yet. Um, I, but yeah, you can message yourself and you can... You know, all this two-factor authentication stuff, uh, you can have it all happening in browser in a secure way across multiple devices, and it's all cached. So your passwords are still there, even, even if you aren't able to access your embassy for some reason, like you're not on the same network, or Tor is having a bad day, which is very common these days, sadly, but it's all cached. So you make a new password, all that happens is your phone you, so you're using your laptop, you go on a website, you make a new password for that website. Bitwarden generates the password if you like, uh, or it doesn't, and you create the password, but then it's saved along with your the account name and the, you know the relevant website, and it's uploaded to your Vault Warden on your embassy. And then every other device that's connected to Vault Warden and signed into the account you've made on your Vault Warden, again, other people can make accounts on your embassy's Vault Warden. So your wife can have her own password management, using vault warden on your embassy and you don't get to know any of it you just give her the thing again it's the uncle jim model but the point is all of your devices that are signed into that account uh, now have the password as long as they connect at some point to the embassy then they download them save them and that's it they can then disconnect and they keep a copy of everything cached so even if your embassy goes offline, your home network dies and you're you know, in another country or something, you'll still have all your passwords on your phone. And if you make a new password on your phone and store it using Bitwarden, the next time you get a connection with your embassy, it will upload it and all your other devices will have it too. And there's no third party involved in that. So it's super convenient and it just makes it... I, the reason I like this so much is because Without a solution that works practically well like that, people end up doing awful things like using the same password for everything or just making all their passwords just password one, two, three. Oh, that didn't work. Password one, two, three, capital P. Like, you know, oh, no, it needs an exclamation mark too. All right, password with a capital P, one, two, three, exclamation mark. All right, it worked. Like, you know, this is what people are doing. So you've got to be realistic and be like, people are just going to do that unless we make a super convenient password management for them that... It works really reliably, and that's what we've done here. So I should be clear, though, we didn't make Bitwarden, but we've made it usable uh, without having to pay a third party because Bitwarden do offer hosting for this stuff, but we've, you know, it's, it's open source, so we've made our own package of the thing, and Vault Warden comes along and says, here's how you host the whole thing uh, and make it so that Bitwarden clients can connect to your own self-hosted instance of this thing. And it works super well. It's honestly one of our most popular and least problematic servers. I, everyone uses it pretty much that has an embassy. And I very, very rarely ever have any support tickets of people saying, hey, something went wrong with my Bitwarden. So it's probably the most used and least complained about app on there. So super proud of that one. Tor. We said we'd come back to Tor. What, Tor. What, what's going on? So Tor is, um, it's like, what is Tor? I, I guess I should start with that. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, originally conceived by, I think, the US Navy, or they were just the biggest funders of it. 
but it's this concept of onion routing, which means what you're doing gets encrypted in multiple layers and bounces through multiple hops and each hop only can decrypt one layer of what you're doing. And what that means is that unless all three hops are the same entity or are sharing data between them, no one gets to know a combination of who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going uh, in the place. Uh, sorry, what you're doing in the place that you're going to. So like supposing you're doing something which requires an exit node, I'm, I'm explaining this in the wrong order, aren't I? Um, <laughs> so let's start with just saying you're in the Tor network and you're staying in there. So all of your browsing uh, and all of the, the services you're connected to are themselves hosted on the Tor network. So you're not coming out of Tor at the end of it. You're doing something like going on a dark net market, which has got a dot onion at the end, or you're accessing your own services that are hosted on Tor as a Tor hidden service, like a Bitwarden service or you know uh, a, you're connecting to a bitcoin node that is you know making a tor hidden service for other nodes to connect to it's not an ipv4 address or an ipv6 it's it's a dot onion address right looks totally different it's a string of letters and numbers rather than uh you know just a standard looking ip address so the way that the tor network works and the way tor works is that when you connect to uh when you connect to these, uh, uh, you're not using the, the standard internet protocols with all of their privacy concerns that they come along with. So there's no DNS. Uh, there's no need to, like, if you host, I mean, if you host a website using that has a standard IP address, you need to go and deal with a bunch of centralized entities and be like, yeah, this is me. My name's Dan. Like, I'm going to pay you with my credit card. I want this name. Uh, danielprincy.com to point to this IP address, which is hosted in this location. Like there's all of that is very, very traceable and very, very not anonymous, right? So Tor is this, everything is just obfuscated within it. You don't have an IP address. There's no domain name system. It's just, you generate something that looks like a Bitcoin address, a totally random string of, of numbers that is of numbers and letters that uh, points the, uh, the the Tor network deals with with its own directory system. So you give someone your Tor address, they can go to that Tor address and they can connect to your server and they can download the data from it, but they don't ever get to find out where that server is hosted without, you know, in theory anyway, you can unmask Tor users. But basically it, I'm making an absolute bastard bastardization description of the whole thing because I've never really been put on the spot to explain what it is before. And it's something I've been using for about 10 years, and but I've never actually had to explain what it is. But it's an anonymity network where a certain, they take sections of what you're doing and assume that everything you're doing is public, but hopefully that you'll never leak enough that you betray your anonymity. And it's kind of important to understand the difference between privacy and anonymity. It's not a privacy network. With the minute you use Tor, unless you're using a, v a VPN, your ISP knows you're using Tor and some of them don't like it and will block you from doing it. And uh, then you connect to one node, which connects to another node, which connects to another node, which connects to the Tor hidden service at the end of it. And if you want to go to a regular website via the Tor network, then you need what's called an exit node. And that means the third hop gets you out of the Tor network. And 
then you run into all sorts of problems. And like, if you try to go to Facebook or any or YouTube or any of these websites via the Tor network, usually you get hit with captures every couple of minutes. You have to keep proving you're not a hacker or stuff like that, or, or you know, you get all these problems. So the thing is, these connections are all super slow. Just the nature of the fact that you have to keep these multiple layers of encryption and everything gets encrypted and decrypted multiple times um, every time you click a button or do anything means that even if everyone was running super tip-top servers that ran exactly as well as the regular internet does, you'd still have more like overhead that you have to take into account. So just the nature of what onion routing is it slows everything down. But then worse than that is the point that um, you're relying on sort of, you know, less than optimal hardware. Like the people that are using Tor are doing so generally because they don't have another option. And speed is the trade-off and convenience is the trade-off. Like everything gets a lot slower. Like if you go on YouTube using Tor browser, um, oftentimes you just won't be able to watch a video because it, YouTube doesn't do the thing where it just downloads it all however long it takes. It will just download a bit, wait for you to play up to the bit that it's downloaded to, and then download more. But um, that means you can't just, if it's going to take you an hour to download a five-minute video, you can't just pause it and wait for YouTube to download it all because it won't. <laughs> You'll have to play and wait, deal with it just stopping every few seconds. So super frustrating. Um, the reason Tor is so good and the reason we love it is because it's it, it means that if you're running... One of the problems with running a server using your home IP address is that you open yourself up to attack and DDoSing. And um, and that's just because you have to reveal your IP address. So Tor means you can host a service that's accessible anywhere in the world without, with sort of inbuilt DDoS protection. Like you, it's not, you. no one is going to come and screw with your home internet network because you exposed something. If you didn't, because you use the Tor network. So it, the, it's super easy to make a service, spin up a Tor hidden service, and then make that makes it instantly accessible for anywhere in the world. And it doesn't ruin your home internet connection. That's basically the advantage of using Tor. It's also an anonymity network too, right? So if you want to do illicit things, or you know, if you want to be a journalist in, a, in, a, in North Korea or whatever it is, uh, if you want to run a darknet market, you, you can't host it on the clear net. You need to host it on the Tor network because you can't have anyone figure out who you are hosting the server that is enabling illicit activity for people to connect to. So everyone's got to use the Tor network and it's going to be brutally slow. So that's pretty much what Tor is. That's pretty much why it's used the way it is. I'm sorry for anyone who's cringing so hard at my explanation of it uh, that they've turned inside out from cringe. But uh, I did my best uh, <laughs> given... Uh, uh, given that I've never really had to explain it before. Um, but here's why it's causing problems, right? It's just because it's slow and recently increasingly unreliable too. Um, it's, it's just the basic design of it. And when you're using like any other service like Gmail or Telegram or Signal or Twitter or just one of a million other services or Snapchat or whatever it is you're using, whatever service it is, um, these things are fast because they don't have to deal with stuff like the Tor network. They, they just go a regular over the clear net and the, everything has been meticulously optimized for speed there. Like, you know, it's, it's phenomenal what we've achieved with internet bandwidth and all that stuff. So with Tor, you lose all that. So if we're going to scale and we're going to become something that is, is remotely, uh, you know, 
workable and convenient as the modern internet and what people have come to expect we can't be using tor for everything because it's just not it's just it's not even a one percent as good you know like when it, it's the idea of us saying we've got a youtube substitute here it is just install this service on your embassy and you have a youtube channel now doing that with the tor network you're not going to be able to have more than like two people ever use your like view your channel you just won't be able to because you just can't provide that much bandwidth over tour um so yeah to a long story short the the real the real uh the real hero's journey on this uh, endeavor of making the personal server in the home realistic for your everyday person is getting a workable clear net solution that has all of the trade-offs considered and made in the most intelligent and practical way possible. Because it's not like a thing where we just turn on a button and say, hey, there's ClearNet. You can now go to danielprince'sembassy.com and everything is just like visiting uh, you know, a, a snappy modern website with a you know, powerful set of servers. Like if we could just turn that on and it would just work, then great. But that's not the world we live in. It's not, there are gonna be trade-offs with doing it. So if you want a, like a, a bulletproof website that runs great, um, uh, if you want to be a google.com, if you want to be, you know, uh, some heavy hitting website that is serves millions of people every hour and uh, you want to host it, there are a ton of compromises that come with that. And usually it comes with just having to be a massive centralized entity running a massive data center in a country and you have to comply with all sorts of regulation to do it. And we're trying to get around all that, right? So we have to do it in a way where we're saying you can host a server, it can show up on the clear net and it doesn't nuke your home internet connection. Uh, it doesn't get you in trouble with the authorities. It provides some sort of cloak nonetheless the, uh, you know, there's a way for you to get around the linking between you, your home internet, and what the server's doing. Uh, all of these things can be done, but every single one of them has trade-offs in one place or another. So it's a, it's a, it's a, at the front end of research, and uh, something that I'm confident that we are going to come up with the best solution for. I'm sure it won't please everyone, uh, and I'm sure it won't be perfect, but. I am sure that no one else is going to come up with something that is as as good of a solution. <laughs> that's basically that's the long story short on ClearNet. Hey, I love it. Uh, I'm gonna have to think very long and hard about spending the money on one of these things uh, because I I could spend years and years tinkering around with cheaper solutions or pay up for one of these things, get it going and learn very, very quickly and be self-sovereign way quicker and much more uh, consistently as well. For sure. Like, I think I would always encourage, there's that saying, the best is not too good. I like that saying a lot. And I've, I've always been, I was a musician for most of my life and I had endless people come up to me saying that, uh, this was always the trope that annoyed me. They'd be like, oh, you're a great piano player or whatever, or a great guitarist. Um, I bought a guitar from Argos last week and it was shit and I hate it. So I gave up because I suck. That's like, I've heard this a lot. And I would always think like you spent 50 quid on a guitar, you hated it. And now you've decided that you suck. Like, first off, 
no one was born able to walk. And, but more importantly, the worse the instrument, the harder it is to have any enjoyment possible from playing the thing and becoming good. So great musicians can play crappy instruments, but it's going to be 50 times harder for them to do it. Great musicians tend to have beautiful instruments. So when it comes to amateurs and children, people always have this logic of, I might not be any good at it, so I'm not going to spend any money on it uh, because then I won't have wasted money if I suck. And I'm going to say, you definitely are going to suck because you've never done it before. And you're going to make your, yourself a thousand times more likely to fail and give up if you get something shitty, which is why it sucks so much that we have these competitors that aren't doing it right because they're going to try and self-host. They're going to get something that just keeps crashing for which there's no support. And they're going to go, I suck at this. I give up. And I'm like, this is just like with music all over again. Like if you want to learn to be a guitarist, go out and buy a beautiful guitar and you'll have a lot of fun playing it and you won't want to give up. You'll just want to keep going. So this is how I feel about the personal server. Get a good one and then you'll actually give yourself half a chance <laughs> because it's even with us, it's still not the easiest thing in the world. So don't make it harder than necessary by having a device that crashes and no one even knows why, even the people that work for the company, that if they could get around to your ticket, they'll still be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just wipe the hard drive and start again. Like that's, that's going to be so defeating and so depressing that and demotivating that I'm just like, don't do it, get something good. And, uh, you know, by there's all, there's so many old tropes about this, like by, by cheap, uh, you know, by once or by cheap, you know, if you buy cheap, what's the expression? If you buy cheap, you'll end up buying twice, right? Like buy nice just, or buy thrice. Yeah. I, that, that sounds like I've never heard it put that way, but that is exactly what I'm trying to say. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Everyone runs about 50 nodes in the Bitcoin enthusiast space, right? Like everyone's got like 25 SD cards sitting on their desk and they've got six Raspberry Pis and, you know, and I, I lived this life for a long time and it was frustrating and nothing ever worked right. And I have something now where I'm like, there's nothing better than what I got. Like we still have bugs. Of course we still have bugs, but Apple and Microsoft still have bugs and so does Android and, you know, everyone has bugs, but it works as well as anything else could work. So I'm very happy. We have a lot of people come to us from Umbrel. Uh, Umbrel's last major release from 04 to 05 uh, had a lot of people lose lightning channels. And a lot of people came to us and were like, hey, we're pissed off with this. So we made a button in our interface that allows you to just click on it. And then your, your Umbrel turns into an embassy, essentially. <laughs> Um, it will migrate if they're both on the same network. It will take all of the lightning data and move it onto an embassy node, and that's it. We've, I've never had anyone go in the opposite direction and say, I'm moving from embassy to Umbral or my node or something like that. So as far as I can tell, we're the, the dark horses in the space. We're a lot less known than anyone else, and we're doing, uh, we're doing about 100 times better and more long-term thinking of a job. So I kind of feel like we're the Bitcoin of the space and everyone else is the the marketing hype shitcoin extra features do everything 20 times faster don't worry if anything works properly like that's how i feel about the personal server space so naturally we're quieter we don't have the same marketing uh, at all but the people that come to us are really happy with us and um we got a lot of love and a, and we've just launched a new forum as well so pretty excited about what conversations are going to start happening on there and even just in the telegram chat uh, the starting on Telegram, just the kind of conversations people have about um, liberty in general and 
discussions about things like email and it's just a community of people that it's it feels like home you know <laughs> can anybody join that chat yeah absolutely the telegram chat is uh, if you go on start9.com and mm -hmm. uh you can we just revamped our website as well it's uh well, like it's been years in the making uh to finally get something that's you know a top quality website and i'm so happy with this um we we had a like a landing page essentially for a, for the longest time and now we finally have a proper website all um, right so calls to action for the plebs startline.com go yeah. watch the uh, promotional video then go check out the embassy pro and look at all the, the specs and whatever else then join the telegram group and start getting in there and asking questions before making that final decision right yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I haven't mentioned is um, we used to charge for the operating system, uh, but it's free now. Uh, there was no way around it. Uh, it's just not really a practical thing for us to sell operating systems and uh, you know keep track of who owns what and who compiled it for free and who we helped and who we didn't and all that. It was just a headache. So it's now uh, completely free. Uh, you can just download it from our GitHub. Uh, and there are, of course, GPG keys, so you can verify that everything's legit and signed by us. Um, so yeah, that's that was a that was the one thing that changed things. Uh, that was the one way in which we were different from others because everyone else you could download for free, uh, but Embassy OS you couldn't. But now you can. So uh, the only thing that comes down to it when you're building your own, which we do encourage, uh, is getting the hardware and uh, you know physically constructing the thing which is fun to do. Uh, we will help you with that as well. Uh, and we don't make a penny from it when people do that because they no longer have to buy the OS. So yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, brother. Well, I got to ask you one last question. And that is, if you had one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Do they have to be alive or dead? You can answer this however you want. Ayn Rand. Yeah, <laughs> though I, I feel like it wouldn't have been strictly necessary if I'm honest. Do you think she'd need it? Have you read Atlas Shrugged? Yeah, I have. I yeah, and uh, no, she she wouldn't. She would she would certainly not need it. I mean, she basically almost wrote the script for what we're all going through right now. It's um incredible, incredible book isn't it like i'm about halfway through it and it's just blowing my mind it's, it's making me angry mm -hmm. you know like because this was written wesley a long what's that wesley mooch that's the the bureaucrat isn't it isn't that his name that uh have you got to where he's trying to basically systematically uh put uh, over regulate basically all of the businesses just mm. to make a name for himself and you know the consequences are everybody starts going out of business yeah it's the it's the parasites man like mm -hmm. it's just the, the dynamic of the world you you there are people that create stuff and then there are people that don't need to do stuff because other people created stuff for them and then they start in just making themselves entitled to everything and and then yep. they realize like you you can a politician's solution is to print money right like but money reflects something that happened so when you print it, you're saying, though, that thing doesn't need to happen. And it comes down to brass tacks. Like you can't print fuel to heat your country up in winter. And you can't print food. Like someone has to do that stuff. Someone has to actually prove the work, right? Someone has to go and get the resources for you to keep your apartment warm 
this this winter and if they don't do it you will freeze like <laughs> it's just the bureaucratic class is so quick to forget reality and they just go yeah we'll just do this and that and everything so someone still has to go and do the work and you keep making it more and more and more difficult for them and eventually this is what i imagine without having finished the the book what i imagine is the conclusion of it is what happens when they go what the man holding up the world on his shoulders shrugs what happens when he finally does that and says, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to go out and fish. Like, you're not going to be able to, you've made my life a misery as a fisherman. So I'm not going to fish anymore. What are you going to do about it? There won't be any fish <laughs> unless I go fishing. So I'm kind of like, it's, I'm wondering what uh, Francisco's, uh, what what the arc is going to result in, what, what Dagny has yet to learn from Francisco. But if you spoil it for me, I will, I'll never talk to you again. Cause this uh, is the only thing I was going to ask you is whether you've reached the point where Francisco uh, goes into his um, money is the, the root of all evil speech or is not the root of all evil speech. Have you got to that point? No. All right. The, I mean, that is such a rip. And Guy Swan has ripped that on his podcast. Just that okay. whole, it's like, I don't know, two and a half pages long and it's Ayn, it's Ayn Rand at her best and it's sound money at its best. And Francisco is the character at his best as well. So I, I, I look forward to the day that you reach that point of the book. I can't wait. I, I, all I am is uh, I'm at the bit where, well, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone that's listening. So I'm not doing it. Uh, just read the book people you've got to read the book it's like i come from a family of socialists and it was like it, it's illegal this is like me reading the satanic bible in church or something like reading uh, atlas shrugs is you know i'm gonna have to think twice before i tell my parents i'm doing it you know like but i mean it's it's a fantastic gripping unbelievable and it's just so so prescient everything about it is just you just can't believe how spot on she was with the, the pure psychology of these. And when you see everyone going on long rips around about parasites and you just realize how bloated that class is, these, these politicians and these bureaucrats that have never done anything ever in their life. And it's, it's maddening. Like when I had to go and get car insurance the other day and I'm in an office and I'm dealing with people and I'm like, you, none of you people behind the glass here have ever done anything that did anything for anyone. I'm just forced to deal with you. I'm going to give you money now that allegedly means I get money back if an accident happens, which you'll just wriggle out of. Like, and I'm required to participate in this, in this total scam. Yep. And, and they'll sit behind their desk for nine yeah. to five, not a minute earlier, not a minute later, and they'll have their lunch break and they'll be completely dependent on the state because they're now painting themselves into a corner 20 years later. They're like, oh my god, I hate my job, I hate my existence. They're completely nihilistic, they're very unhelpful, they don't care about you, they don't care about anything other than the, the clock reaching 5 p.m. and their 21 days holiday per year. Yeah. That's it, you just save up for your holiday. That's yeah. it. An and NPC right there, non player character. Yeah, and, servant. and I love that fact, the fact the civil servant is, is such a dichotomy, like they, they should be like. <laughs> <laughs> rude slave master <laughs> that's what they are they're not civil servants they're all rude and they, they yeah they, they 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 aren't your servant they rule over you but you are dependent on that insurance if they choose to not give it to you you're fucked you're dependent on the uh, the dvla or whatever the equivalent is in the in the us because if they do not give you that that driver's license 
you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, I know people that are pretty out there and they're driving without plates or licenses and uh, they're, you know, getting arrested and then getting let out because they refuse to take part in any of the legal, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the idea, the notion that this is all like the difference, there's a difference between what's legal and what's lawful. These are different terms. And yeah. they're saying, I'm not doing anything unlawful. And I don't, and I don't, uh, I don't own the legal entity of uh, that 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 associates me with the corporation known as Mister Something or Other. So I'm not subject to maritime law. There's no, there's no legal uh, bounds by which I'm required to operate. This is a free country. There are only three laws. I'm not disturbing the peace. I'm not in breach of a contract and i don't you know th- i've seen these people do it and i wonder whether the whole thing is a total joke and a scam or whether it's actually real they call themselves free men on the land and i do know about it like they're saying look i'm allowed to travel fundamentally you cannot stop me from traveling it doesn't matter if i'm doing it in a car or whatever you're not allowed to come and tell me i, I require a license or insurance or any of that stuff mm-hmm. what happens to these people is they tend to get arrested and then released the next day without charge um, because they can't charge them because these people refuse to have legal names and you can't, the, the system just has no idea what to do with them. Uh, and there's, there's lots of like little clips you see on, uh, uploaded, uh, of people like going to court and, you know, just completely turning the whole thing on its head and being like, I, I don't accept the corporate entity. I'm not Mr. John Smith. Like there is no Mr. Like Mr. John Smith is someone you can put in prison. I'm a human being. That's all I'll admit to being. And, you know, they have no way because they ask you all these questions to lock you in to contractual obligations. And stuff. Are you Mr. Something or other? Yes. Like, and if you just say no to all this stuff, it becomes a situation where they're like, um, we don't really know how to process you. Like, I don't have much faith in this whole thing myself, but I, I dream that it's kind of true and that you can hack the system and just, you know, if you're a, a bird, you can fly across a border, right? But the minute you're a human, you can't somehow. And that never made sense to me. It's like, how do you, how are we in this slavery system? And I always think that the KYC system put on top of Bitcoin is so much worse than anything else Bitcoiners have kind of turned a blind eye to. Like the minute Bitcoin the minute we put it inside that matrix of you know if you want to buy bitcoin we need your passport we need your driver's license we need a utility bill we need you to sign a thing that you're withdrawing it to your wallet we need a list of addresses like all that stuff to me is really really nasty evil stuff creeping into the space and uh yeah i really hope that we turn the tide on that needs to happen man and i know what you mean about the borders thing that drives me crazy uh well elon musk said it a couple of days ago he's like we're, we're making everyone have id to use twitter because this will mean free speech or something and i'm like what that's like saying we're making everyone have a passport and this will allow more travel like that's you can travel fine without passports it's only because <laughs> you made it a requirement mm-hmm. and now you turned around and said in true politician style if we give everyone passports, more people will be able to travel. And I'm saying we shouldn't need that in the first right. place. So we need to be going the other way. Yeah. To we speak need to be on abolishing passports. I don't want to have to give anyone my identity or prove my address or anything to be able to speak online in these public town squares. But I mean, this is a um, most people are pretty happy about Elon Musk buying Twitter. I'm not. I think he's a bad actor, and I think that should be obvious given his uh doge coining and his obvious push for kyc because you can make a twitter account without kyc 
they'll figure out stuff like unless you're using Tor to go on Twitter, they'll know your IP address whenever you use it. They'll, you know, they'll know your email address for sign up. They'll probably know your phone number too. I think they ask for that. Um, so in a roundabout way, they've got some ideas about your identity, but you don't need to upload government ID to use Twitter at the moment. Australia were pushing for that for social networks, but people are saying, oh, if we want to get rid of spam and trolls and all that stuff, we need <laughs> government safety. ID. Yeah, like, but people are in favor of this, right? Every, the whole people that are saying Elon Musk is going to bring free speech to Twitter. And I'm saying, are you looking at what he's doing? He wants to bring in an identity system, a verification system for people's identity. That's not free speech. No way. Free speech, the only speech that's free is the speech that can be done anonymously. The minute identity oh, gets in, he's he's controlled. He's he's he, like whatever. He's he's just a puppet for someone. Whatever he's saying, he's saying on behalf of probably whoever bailed him out for the ridiculous amounts of billions he got himself in the hole for. Like he 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 put himself in the way of being just captured immediately if he wasn't already, which I believe he already was. Well, I'm glad that you say that. I mean, I find the most uh, indicting fact about him to be the fact that he's the biggest beneficiary in the world of the climate scam which mm -hmm. can't believe i ever believed and is still apparently controversial but it's 2022 i was scared my whole childhood that london and new york were going to be underwater any mm -hmm. day it's 2022 decades have passed since these predictions london is not an inch further down in comparison to the sea level than it was back then this, uh, and I'm asking the people in my life that still believe it, what year does it have to be before you go, this was a lie? Like in 2070, it can't be the case that London and New York still aren't underwater and you still believe this thing. Because how long does it take for you to go, yeah, the models were bullshit? How yeah. long? I've give, I reached the point, the COVID insanity accelerated my journey a bit. But I, I was a climate change believer until about... 2018 2019 probably then some doubts crept in and then covid happened and i went oh my everything is a lie isn't it they are lying about everything and you know and i hear this word like like hypnosis every five minutes the climate crisis the climate crisis the climate crisis and i'm going what climate crisis there actually isn't anything happening at all the the ice caps are still there the glaciers are still there the the sea level is exactly the same height it was and has been my whole life so what climate crisis and you know and every time a hurricane happens it's proof of the climate crisis and every time mm -hmm. a hurricane doesn't happen we just ignore it like it's winter in canada right now it's freezing just like it is every year so what if there was no hurricane season that'd be a climate change crisis right it's like yeah. see what we've done <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bad like it normally is that's not climate change is it if, if you want it to change, then it would have to... Yeah, you're right. There would have to be no hurricane in Florida for there to be climate change. Because the fact that... I don't know. I don't want to be too obtuse about it, but the claims are vague and they're disastrous. And Adam Curtis made a great documentary called The Power of Nightmares. And he talks about how that relates to, in any bureaucracy, whoever's got the nastiest imagination is the one that gets the funding. The one that really? says, what if they do this? What if the terrorists come here and do that? We need to patriot act we need to do xyz and they get the government contracts it doesn't matter how outlandish and unlikely their their things are 
But if anyone comes along and solves any of those problems or says they're not really that bad, then the funding dries up and a bunch of people lose money. So, you know, unwinnable wars against drugs and ideologies and uh, all these things that are never and are now against the climate, right? I mean, it's just, it's perplexing, but I'm not having it, basically. <laughs> I'm not having it at all. When it comes to the climate thing, I'm. it's such a... Like there's the problem and there's a solution and the problem, even if it's real, like I don't, I don't trust any government around the world to organize a piss up in a brewery. Uh, it's nice to use these English expressions with you because I'm hanging around with Americans all the time that don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, uh, all these, all these politicians that couldn't organize a piss up in a brewery that are saying they're going to do stuff which will change the the climate of our planet and i'm just they have no idea of the words that are coming out of their mouths it's it, like rishi sunak reading that thing off a teleprompter about cbdc's like he's, he's almost cross-eyed reading the wef script that's just being played through a teleprompter teleprompter in front of him they're just Ooh. such puppets that, that, that it's ridiculous mate it, you know like you you roll the clowns out to distract the crowd whilst the stage is being reset in the background, right? That's exactly what's going on with all of it. Well, that's that is how I feel about Elon Musk. I feel like he's the the I feel like the the no. woke, the wokeness and the anti wokeness that Elon Musk represents is is the magician like going like that with one hand while someone's over here. Like he's a part of that, whether he's willing or not. But I mean, I don't care about wokeness and unwokeness. It's it's not the real battle. It just isn't. Like it, it's such a distraction to think it is. Like the idea that we can have, you know, a billionaire be an edgy meme lord and suddenly everything's fixed. I just don't. I'm not having it. Again, I'm not having it. It's too. It's too easy and it's too trivial a battle. Like everyone knows, men, men and women aren't. You know, women can't be a man and men can't be. Women. No one actually doesn't think that. Like, you've got a bunch of people paying lip service to nutcase ideologues and, uh, you know, opportunism by politicians and all that. But no one thinks men can have babies. No one actually thinks that. So that's not a war. I'm going to like be like, yes, we won the war. It's now illegal to say that uh, men can get pregnant or something like that. Like, that's not a fight worth having, in my opinion. And that's where elon makes everyone think we're winning some sort of cultural shift and i'm like it's it's not even relevant it's not like there's the climate change lie which he is the biggest benefiter of in the world he's not going to do anything about that because he wants carbon credits forever and probably it gets deeper and more insidious than that and then he's a shitcoiner he keeps attacking bitcoin uh for one of the the more annoying reasons and going after it on a reputational basis saying you know the climate fud the even stuff saying lightning nodes are money transmitters and need to be, you know, uh, legally, it needs to legally be reflected that they're money transmitting entities. Like that was a, that was a, a nasty attack for him to start saying things like that. And then just complaining about, you know, small blocks saying, let's have big blocks on Bitcoin and all this. These are really annoying attacks that took years to deal with in Bitcoin. And the reputational damage of them is, like it's i can if you've never heard of bitcoin i can explain it to you and you might like it if you've heard of it already because you read a mainstream news article about how it's bad for everything and how it's used by you know drug people and it's boiling the oceans and all that then it's going to be a million times harder for me because i've got to fix all the lies 
So Elon spewed a bunch of lies about Bitcoin and then pumped Dogecoin. And, you know, nothing about his involvement with Bitcoin was any good at all. But people thought it was great. When he came into Bitcoin, it was hashtag Bitcoin. That was his bio, nothing else. And he said, in the end, it was inevitable. Tesla accepted Bitcoin. And everyone was like rejoicing. They're like, yes, we got Elon Musk on the team. We're going to win now. And I felt it too. I was celebrating it. But what did it end up being? It ended up him just creating absolute market turbulence, pumping shit coins, making even more of a farce out of the whole space and creating a bunch of reputational damage too. And ultimately selling all of his Bitcoins as well at a loss. So that whole endeavor, I wish hadn't happened at all. And uh, I think Twitter is going to end up being exactly the same. Like Twitter was annoying, yes, and the censorship and all this stuff and the fact checking. He's come along and everyone's happy and he's going to make everything so much better. And I just think that it's really naive and um, uh, and there people are just not seeing what's actually going, about to happen here. I think it's going to be a lot worse. And I think we're going to wish we had Jack Dorsey back, to be honest. I think Jack Dorsey is a much uh, a much more defendable character. And I think Twitter was bad in spite of him rather than because of him. But, you know, haven't actually met Jack Dorsey. What's your opinion on Jack? Seems very, very based. And he seems like a proper Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah, every time he does anything, like the other day he posted a tweet arguing about the referral stuff that's tacked onto the end of the link when you post a link. And I'm like, what tweet did he choose by and it had Hal Finn in there. I'm like, oh, it's, it's got to be running Bitcoin. It's got to be Hal Finn. He's running Bitcoin too. I didn't even check. I just assume it was. I wrote run in Bitcoin and a bunch of people liked it. I'm like, there's no way. It's Jack. Like anything Jack can do to, to, to I mean, there was a time Luke Jr. got banned off Twitter as well. And we kicked up a stink about it and he got reinstated. And then Jack immediately followed him once he came back. So I thought he's made a bunch of gestures like that where I'm like, this guy's a deep real bitcoin i think he is based as fuck and um i think yeah twitter was just i think yeah. twitter was something where my, like, my favorite I, my favorite was the uh ethiopia flag but <laughs> oh yeah yeah that was so good that was fantastic <laughs> that was a really that was a nice move of his yeah he's and when he comes back he'll just be violent against the a16z and all these just parasitical shitcoin entities you know he'll just come and throw absolute fire at them it's beautiful to watch he's violent man i like it and i, I know people that know him and they tell me in person he's just absolutely red-pilled so and i think my assessment then is this that he gave up on twitter he's like i cannot fix this thing i'm giving up i'm just going to go full into bitcoin and hopefully bitcoin fixes this like which is reasonable right so bitcoin fixes all right, mate. What a place to leave it. Bitcoin fixes this. Mm. It's been uh, it's been an awesome rip. Thanks for coming on, telling us all about Embassy. Uh, where should people come and reach out to you if they want to know any more about what we were discussing today? Come on, uh, Twitter is still the best place to find me. So I'm uh, Grass Fed Bitcoin. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. I'm called Bitcoin Mechanic. Uh, I'm currently hashtagging Nuremberg Two in my profile. So if you're a fan of Nuremberg 2, then come along. It won't be Nuremberg 1. We're not going to let all the high-level guys get away with it and then just relocate them to Latin America. No, they will pay too. The, I'm not going to go into too much detail about what I've got in mind because I don't want to get in Guantanamo Bay. But yeah, that's where to find me. Twitter is probably your best bet. Um, also in the Start9 communities, in our forums, which we've just launched, and in the Telegram group, we're around. 
So come and say hello. All right, man. Thanks for coming on, and I look forward to doing another one again next year sometime. Nice one, mate. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed that rip with the mechanic. It's certainly a very interesting period, isn't it? I really want one of these things. Um, I'm a little bit scared off by the price, obviously, as I'm sure many of you are, especially with the price of Bitcoin, where it is right now. 1400 pounds euros or dollars however much it's going to cost you is obviously a fair amount of sats but the cost of privacy incalculable i would say imagine how much that could be worth in the future if we are protecting ourselves now and taking back complete control of everything it makes complete sense to me that you would have one of these things in your home so you and your family can be completely protected and away from the spying eyes. I'm just so sick and tired of all that crap. But it's only you guys that have made me realize, you know, how much we've given up. And again, a big shout out to the privacy people that push this message. I know you have to shout very loudly at us dumb thick skulled people that are more than happy just to bumble along in life uh, but wake us up one at a time and especially if we're already a bitcoiner we're definitely open minded to at least trying things out and seeing where they take us so let's take back our privacy it was ours it was taken from us we can take it back and so this is definitely one of those tools that can help with that so thank you Again, Mechanic for coming on and sharing all of that. Don't forget, guys, to check out the show sponsors and make sure you're supporting Pleb Projects out as well. I've got an episode coming up with Geyser soon. There's a bunch of Pleb Projects on geyser.fund or follow them at geyserfund on Twitter. Listen for my next episode with Mick, the founder, and just sling some sats at people that are trying to make a difference in this space. It's definitely worth considering and, and very well received buy a book you got christmas coming up you've got friends who speak or read in different languages you can head over to consensus network at forward slash bitten use the code bitten to get 10 percent discount use the lightning network to get an even bigger discount head over to ungovernable misfits get that t-shirt for that loved one from uh, max and mr crown you can use the code bitten there as well and make sure you're hitting up the show sponsors uh, long-time sponsors of the show, Swan Bitcoin, Relay, Coin Corner. Just amazing what you guys are doing, helping people stack those sats. Really appreciate it. Newcomer to the show to help you stack sats in a KYC-free fashion is Hoddle Hoddle. Thank you, Max and Anna. And Wasabi Wallet are going to help you coin join if you want to uh, run through some coins, a coin join service after taking them off an exchange, wasabiwallet.io have got you, but please make sure you are in control, ultimately in control, with shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and the code bitten at checkout, you'll get 5% discount on the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware wallet. That's the rip, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next show.